Well, hi, howdy. I saw you like a couple days ago. Yes, saw you this weekend for an RCQ. We were both slain by Philip, who took us out on his way to the top eight. Yes, but didn't win the tournament, so that's, you know, insulting. A bummer. But our friend Wit won the tournament, so that's good. Yeah, surprisingly with uh, an Ecfatic Incarnation. (laughs) Yes. A deck that never wins. Or hasn't in a long time. Yeah, but, you know, Wit's pretty good with it. Congrats to him. That's very cool. I played Magma Opus. It was fine. Just perfectly fine. Yeah, I think the deck is completely acceptable. I mean, it did win the challenge, right? It's got something. Yeah, it's got something. So I feel a little vindic. You know, I guess not vindicated, but I feel a little more justified in in choosing it. I think that I have picked out, identified properly that it is fine to good. Yeah, I think it's fine to good. I think it's one of the better blue based like control decks. Not control specifically, but in that sphere like if you want to play blue reactive cards like this is best deck for it i think i mean blue white is fine lay down arms i think made that deck a lot better and it's got that going for it but i wouldn't want to play blue white through a whole tournament i mean every time i say that blue white's okay you just immediately tell me it's not so i don't i've stopped i i i don't it's like fine but it's suck yeah i mean do you just want to go to the episode we're just like just just yeah that's fine because i don't have any stories from this weekend or anything otherwise i'd be telling them my games are all very very calm mine were relatively straightforward getting thought distortioned like very early in both post-board games as a as a one of was not my favorite way of starting off a tournament but other than that i also got thought distortioned it's a little unjust because they don't even play the card yeah if you don't register it and then somebody like violates the pact and then does it to you yeah that's rude hey everyone welcome to episode 291 of the mtg grindcast the spikiest podcast in all of central north carolina we are your hosts. I'm Chris Castorapple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hi, Lee. Hey, CCR. What's going on? Hanging out. Did a nice, I guess, not long, but, you know, a full stream today. The whole four hours. Didn't even leave early. Playing Pioneer with friends slash uh, informal teammates. So that went really nicely. Who were the friends you played with? I didn't get to see any of this because I was a worker. Mm, that's very unfortunate that you work during the day yeah that's weird <laughs> yes collins and philip and max and i were playing some matches i was playing mono green and we played it against neoform and then played it against blue white a little bit so very informational got a lot out of it i think that's solid my suspicion that like sometimes neoform just puts in a tracks into play and then loses five turns later against mono green was like pretty confirmed by by these matches yeah you also get to chump block with polygrinos now too right so you yourself an extra yeah. draw step if you want <laughs> yeah so i i blocked with polygrinos blocked with cavalier and Jeez. then eventually just comboed if you out flip polygrinos you can block so many times yes like the polygrinos is two blocks and then if you can like get a a layer to die then that gives you another block also if you flip a second Pelucranos while you have a flipped Pelucranos, then you get two death triggers, so you get additional you just get like a, a million bodies. Four Hydras. That doesn't give you more blocks, but it does make you go No, wide. it doesn't give you more blocks, but it does, you know, gives you some flexibility in how you're doing it. That's fine. I don't I, I think the Atrax deck's just solid. It's it's like in that good Delvery kind of spot, but it plays some bad cards and against decks that go really big uh, like mono green or lotus field i, I don't think you you can like you got to be mixing up your game a little more better than that mm-hmm. so today we're just going to talk about the formats we've got a standard pro tour coming up so we'll talk about that we will also start things off i think by talking about pioneer and just like what's what's going on there and then i guess the standard will be our our main topic although i don't know how deep we actually need to go into standard there's just a pro tour coming up so we'll 
we'll give a little preview of what's going on, which is not a ton of brand new stuff. No, I think it's mostly the same, but Pioneer I'm down for. That is the only far I've been playing consistently recently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've definitely been putting most of my energy into that. It's just, it has Lotus Field, and I like that deck, so I've been at a bunch of Pioneer tournaments as a consequence of that. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, speaking about Lotus Field, since we're talking about it anyways, that deck is not really in existence on Magic Online, but boy, we do see a lot of it in paper. <laughs> At least in our local scene. Yeah, I don't know why our locals play it so much. It's very weird to me because I watch the games and I'm like, this person should be playing anything else. But uh-huh. it is popular. Uh, and I'll lose to every single one of those people, like in the mirror match. Just mm-hmm. I, I'm collecting trophies of uh, most losses in a mirror match right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. But I, I get why it's not in paper in uh, playing online because Rogues rose up to popularity this week. And rogues is just a nightmare. It's it's like the same as spirits. That's kind of my read on rogues as a deck. It's just better spirits. It does the same type of deal. It's just more effective. It does the same thing, but it has fairy mastermind, which is just like a standalone excellent card and then part of the plan. But like it's just a two drop that can kind of beat you on its own, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, it's fairy mastermind is incredibly strong. Very impressive, especially since all the popular decks have cantrips just kind of baked into them. Monogreen has Kiora. Red Black has mm-hmm. so many cards, like Bankbuster, Mabel. <laughs> so you just get get your card without even trying. And every yeah. time you get a card in a, a deck like this, it's like low to the ground, critical mass, trying to play on narrow axis. It's The extra card is huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a small game deck because all of your cards trade one for one mm-hmm. at a very efficient costs and so every time you get an extra one it's really strong the problem with the deck right now is that it is not great against rakdos and that's something that it needs to kind of figure out the there's a like looming problem there which is that like croxa just beats it you can't mill your opponent and put a croxa yeah. in their graveyard and expect to win the game that way not with a thought seize fatal push deck that's the problem with rogues too like rakdos is naturally favored against it and then if it gets popular enough you just start seeing a croxa or two in the sideboard or one of the main deck and all of a sudden it's like oh no we're we're working so hard for this now yeah like you could probably get the matchup to be totally reasonable with rogues, except that the Croxa, you know, if you if you're really trying, you could be just a little behind in the matchup, probably. But then Croxa is just not really if there's two in the list, it's so hard to win. And it's not like having a bad matchup is like a death knell for a deck or anything, but you definitely do not want your bad matchup to be the most popular deck in the format. <laughs> that is no a bad sign. <laughs> Yeah, and we, you know, looking at the challenge and the showcase challenge from this weekend, Rakdos, nine of the top 32 in the Saturday challenge, 11 of the top 32 in the showcase challenge. So it is very important to have a decent plan against Rakdos and feel like you're even or ahead. And I I just like, if the metagame stays like this, just can't justify playing any of the decks that are actively behind against Rakdos. I I think the deck is still like, perfectly reasonable uh, especially mm-hmm. before people have adopted croxes like it, it can win a lot kaido shizuki is very impressive in the deck uh, mm-hmm. i watched mike play some games this past weekend uh and at our rcq and the deck was impressive there yeah and i think it's good against most of the blue decks and just anything slower in the format if you're trying to cast like bring delight against rogues i i can't imagine that you're gonna have a very good time do you want to structure this in any specific way or can we talk about bring delight now because i would like to we can talk about bring delight right now okay give, give me your take on bring to light because this deck kind of mystifies me i have a note right here that i think it is funny that the list that pops up in a top eight you know every you know the deck exists and pops up the list that pops up in the top eight every once in a while like is exactly the same 60 cards as the pro tour deck like not a single card has changed and that doesn't seem right like i i get that it is hard to build most of the deck in other ways you got to have your bring delights you got to have your sylvan caryatids you got to have your fables you got to have the things that you get with your bring delight but it is really funny that it's just like 60 for 60 and like only a handful of sideboard slots 
change and the metagame is different. But, you know, the deck exists because it is heavily favored against Rakdos and that's its job in the metagame is to, you know, you cast Bring Delight against Rakdos and then you just keep making Omnaths over the course of the game and eventually crush them under that. Yeah, that that is the role I see the deck play. Apart from that, I don't like it. It just is mm-hmm. mopey. Like, I get all your cards are individually good, but the deck is so slow, and you can draw clunkers, like, every time you draw the slaughter games when you're not playing against, I guess, specifically Lotus Field. Is it even good against See, I don't... See, yeah, I mean, the fact that it has the slaughter games in there still, I think it, like, kind of mystifies me, because slaughter games doesn't beat Lotus Field anymore, and so I don't understand what the purpose it, it of the main It just shouldn't deck. be in the deck at all. Right. But every I time I see a deck list or play against the deck, there's a slaughter games. It's cast against yep. me all the time. It's never a problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, what do you do when you get the slaughter games game one against Lotus Field? Because you no longer can take their win condition because they have Lair of the Hydra. So you just like take hidden strings and then hope that you somehow kill them with an Omnath on turn 12. Like they just can't go like it's it's not it doesn't work. It's not effective. Yeah, I thought about this a little bit because you, you can beat it pretty easily with Lair of the Hydra just because their deck is so slow, right? You have like infinite time to set up and do your mana and everything. Like they're not pressuring you in any real way. They can't even really play their Elish Norns for fear of you just putting Lotus Fields into play for free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then when you slaughter games and you like name the right win condition, like if you go for the win condition, you go to the Maximize Acquisition, then you have to like play an Omnath immediately and then like like six land drops or something to gain enough life to where the layer of the hydra is not going to kill you and that's just not really going to happen yeah it, it's a miserable matchup and like that's that's fine there are especially in pioneer there's really polarized matchups but i don't think putting the slaughter games in the deck makes any sense anymore yes agreed very much agreed i i would like to see i don't need to see evolution from this deck because i think a lot of the core can't be wiggled away from. Like you are just a Sylvan Gary to bring to light on that deck with right. all that entails. Uh once you're, you know, signing up for Bring Delight, you've got to play like the Valky, the selfless Glyphweaver, and then whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But personally I would like to see some more Escape to the Wilds. That card's super impressive every time I see it. But maybe that's just leaning too hard into like killing Rorakdos more when you need to like do other things. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not, that's like kind of a problem with it, the deck. We are already pretty ahead against Rakdos, so I don't think you need to like do that kind of stuff. Like, I I, I love an Escape to the Wilds, but ha- being really deep on Escape to the Wilds isn't going to help you keep up against Mono Green or against the decks that are casting Make Disappear against you or anything like that. Yeah, I saw a version with Thalia and the Gitrog, which is a way yes. to you have to lean a little bit more into Black Mana when you do that because that is a black card but it is pretty nice it, may, it lets you make two land drops and it lets you cycle mm-hmm. your lands or your sylvan characters when you're done with them to four more cards the weird yeah. thing is that that is not a may ability you do have to sacrifice land every time you want to attack with her yeah you can just not attack though in that deck and that's fine yeah but then like what is your thalia doing i mean like it, it you know you you get to this point where you're like no longer tight on mana right and then you're totally fine doing that the game proceeds in stages with this kind of deck and you you can sort of adjust what you're doing based on the stage of the game that you're in okay that's kind of just all i really wanted to say about ring delight i just like think the deck is too static which you did point out and it doesn't really have a good place other than it just beats up around rakdos like it's not particularly effective against a bunch of other stuff other than it just plays good cards yeah, and I mean, I think that that ends up being fine in a lot of places. Just you have good cards and you trade one for one pretty well and then you play an Omnath and put things away against like a lot of creature decks. But uh, in a more just sort of defined metagame when you're just like, I'm going to be playing against Rakdos, I'm going to be playing against Mono Green. Uh, and then if a blue deck, like if Rogues becomes a problem, then yeah, this is this build of bring delight is not where you want to be and you know i i don't hate this deck i have no problem with it it is on my list of of possible decks to play but the the lack of movement in the deck over time is definitely cause for concern 
I would like to know how the mono green matchup goes a little more, I guess, because mono green is on the rise now with Polychronos' printing. Like, for better or worse, I don't know if Polychronos can single handedly lift up mono green th the way it seems to, but it is, people are playing it more. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the, I, I've played a, this matchup a few times and selfless glyph weaver is really really good you just you know wrath their whole thing away and then you just start one for oneing whatever they put into play after that you know you've got leyline binding and chain to the rocks which are very good answers to troll and cavalier and so you're pretty decent at like yeah if they bazaja you in a bad spot then that can be pretty awkward but generally you don't worry too much about them ramping you try to like match not match their ramping but get one mana up so then you can bring to light a turn earlier selfless glyph weaver all their stuff away you keep like yourself in karyatid and then you just kind of go from there and they don't have a great way of stopping you from doing that okay is this if brain delight is not drawn in like the first four turns is that a problem yeah definitely a okay. problem i mean you, you so you have to keep a hand that is either very likely to bring to light or is doing a powerful omnath thing because like you can also do like an omnath into elish norn draw and that that can also beat them and then eventually you you bring to light or if you have like a couple of copies of Chain to the Rocks and Leyline Binding to just like stop their big things from being in play, giving them devotion and attacking you, um, then that that can work. But your A plan is definitely get to the Bring to Light. Uh, and then the other ones are kind of secondary things. You need like an Omnath Fable hand or, or Fable Passage hand, or you need a, a solid amount of exile removal spells. Okay. And then obviously having a solid amount of exile removal spells and then you don't really draw out of it into something uh, assertive and then they just cast uh, Storm the Festival and then that's bad. But, yeah, I, I, you know. the attrition games, when you <laughs> when you let them keep playing the game, are definitely not going to be good. But I, I mean, Monarchy has a lot of clunkers in it too. Like you can draw a bunch of land worlds later in the game. <laughs> right. So it's kind of just like a coin flip at that point. Yep. But yeah, I, I probably want to play that matchup just a little bit more just to fully see the types of, of games that can play out. But those are the ones that I've experienced. Okay, that's fair. I mean, do you, you want to just talk about Mono Green? Yeah, we should probably talk about Mono Green. I did play a fair bit of it today just because I wanted to kind of get the full experience. I played the copy from the was it from the showcase or the challenge i think it's from the the showcase top eight that was just running a play set of Pelucranos and yeah. like all of its flex slots went down to three oath of nissa is running 21 lands so i can just fit four Pelucranos in there and you know i only played against blue white and neo form today but as far as like deck functionality went the Pelucranos is it, it felt fine to have four probably the right number is like three and then put another fixer type card in the other slot but boy it just gives so much utility to the deck the the power level of the deck when it has so much better access to like the kiora and four power three drop plan mm -hmm. is immense especially against the blue decks when you can just say like i don't really care that much about your make disappears and your your disdainful strokes because i can just do this instead and just accumulate so much value that you can't possibly keep up that's really nice. And then also Pelucranos is fantastic against anybody trying to attack you, whether it is in the air or if it's like mono red or something. I played against a Tarka red and I, I just like played a league match before people got on, played against a Tarka red and just put a Pelucranos into play. They couldn't kill it. So I got a block out of it. And then two turns later, I flipped it and then the game was over. It giving you that game tightening sort of mechanism against red or, or any of the aggro decks really is just an extra dimension for the deck i, I Pelucranos really adds to this deck's ability now it's incredible no i i do think the card's very strong it is <laughs> the most impressive part to to me is the first point you touched on where you can it, it gives so much more explosiveness to your kiora draws like you're so mm -hmm. much more likely to have uh, Pelucranos into Kiora like on turn four or whatever turn three like mm -hmm. it's, it's very good and then on top of that it just like randomly hoses a bunch of creature decks that should beat you like that you're using flying as a way to beat you yeah now you just have seven 
plus reach creatures that they cannot attack through. Yeah, because like if they could deal with the Cavalier of Thorns, then they would do that and then attack you over the air, right? That was their plan. But now that mm-hmm. you have a Blucranose and a Cavalier in play, like one removal spell is not going to do it. You, you got to have no. way more than that. And you, yep. those decks often just don't have the resources to do that. Yeah, it, it, you're just taxing them too much at that point because they've spent cards on the flyers. And then at some point, like if you're still brick walling them, then they just don't really get out of it. Yeah. I, is Angels dead now? Like, <laughs> I don't see it in like any of these results, right? I saw like one with some Elspeths in it or something like that. Archangel Elspeth, what a flavorful addition. <laughs> yes. And now one that actually like makes a ton of sense to me, but whatever. Uh, I don't think I saw a single Angels deck when I was looking. The only green white deck was the like Yorion one in the Saturday challenge. <laughs> oh no, there is one see. Angels ninth place. I see it in the showcase. Yeah. And this is the six Lanor Elves version. I mean, as long as you're running Lanor Elves, then I'm I'm happy. I'm fine with that. I don't I don't like angels, but I mean, we can. Are we done talking about monogreen? No, okay. if, I mean, if you have to run angels, run elves. But I I am not interested in angels. No, it, it requires too many cards and your sideboard is actually where you lose like most of your games. <laughs> like if, if your game one is bad against something, you you often have to like have these haymaker sideboards to even have a chance. Like this deck plays four rest in peace in the sideboard, for instance. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing against something graveyardy that beats you, you want to board in all your rest in pieces because they're in your sideboard for that reason. You need to draw one of them to kill your opponent. But you're also a tribal deck, so you need a lot of creatures. So if you ever draw two rest in pieces, you're just like so hard to win now, even though you've crippled your opponent. Well, Except for against rogues, because as long as you have a rest in peace and play against rogues, they're not really doing it. So that, yeah, can, but I think you've you also been four rogues in a fair game most of the time. Maybe they're pretty good at like countering. You know, they they can like thought seize you and drown in the lock you, and then just kind of keep up. But they can't keep up if you rest in peace them. But against non rogues, or just a different decks, like yeah, against any other deck, I don't even know Lotus that. Field, putting a bunch of damping spheres in your sideboard, and then you know you have to draw mm-hmm. one to have a chance to to compete in time but if you draw too many you're you're not in good shape because you don't have enough power to win before they can draw out of the diving spears yeah it's it's just rough i don't that's why i do not like angels as a deck no same i i i will never register angels in a pioneer tournament uh rectus rectus had the most showing it hasn't really changed that much though has it did you want to talk about anything in particular about it rectus is good uh, there's not that much more to say you can you know you have to make a decision if you're going to play croxas or if you're going to play muta vaults i think that probably if people are registering a healthy amount of rogues in the format then i lean towards being on the croxas side of that equation but jarvis just won an rcq playing a muta vault version that looked totally fine that was well built Ractos is just good i don't know what the proper build will be by the time the regional championship comes around but the the deck is very strong it's all good cards the number of thought seizes and duresses you can play post board means that it really doesn't have very much in the way of bad matchups and you can just kind of walk all walk all over people if you get the right draw yeah and i think also that in the short term you probably do want to be going for croxa right now i think because mm-hmm. at least online i know rogues is very popular <laughs> yeah and i feel like you want something for those matchups and if that continues to translate into paper sure for the rc like sure you know croxa it up but I do generally prefer Mutavault versions, and I would be looking to play that if I wanted to play Red Black um, mm-hmm. for the RC, expecting the number of rogues to go down just over time. Yeah, I think there's a decent chance that by the time the RC comes around, rogues will be a distant memory. I think it'll be the same as Spirits. Like It'll show up in a top eight every now and then. Maybe it'll even win a challenge every now and then, but it's not going to be like... right this is peppered throughout the the tournament kind of deal like like spirits is really not a consideration for me as i'm making my deck choice on any particular day or for any particular tournament yeah and his rogues yeah and i don't think rogues will be either yeah and i I think they're very similar styles of deck (laughs) yeah i i do like 
you know, we knew Fairy Mastermind was good going in, but then seeing it play out in these rogues decks, it's obvious that it is a very good card and a big reason why these decks are succeeding. And I'm wondering what other homes could be found for that card in Pioneer. Like, I know somebody just registered, like, Rakdos Splashing Blue for Fairy Mastermind and then, like, 5-0 to League with it, which is a little goofy, but not outside the realm of possibility. And I do think that card's just real, real good. That is that is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll pick up some Fairy Masterminds and I'll try to do some Rona stuff. So Someone tried a Rona and got... In one of these showcases, I think. No, one of the challenge. Yeah. Did okay. Not good enough to make it place in one of in on Saturday, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like I think exactly whatever Todd Anderson last posted. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not a huge fan of. (laughs) No. It's not there yet. Mm -mm. I I would like to see more Rona decks pop up in these results, but I would like to see people trying different things and not just like whatever it gets posted on twitter last but that's sure. like selfish i understand the the need to you know this person worked on a deck i'm just gonna play it because it looks cool i get that but i also want to see people try to like make this deck better yeah yep and i don't know maybe we can do some fairy mastermind stuff unlikely but who knows I, I fairy mastermind will make its own way it'll make something happen over time in pioneer it's certainly going to be hella relevant in standard uh especially once the format shrinks back down to five sets after rotation but well six sets, right because right? aftermath aftermath doesn't count as a whole set right it's like 50 cards and there's no commons yeah i don't know how many of the cards are like truly relevant but i've only seen like five of them that have been spoiled so far today and none of them look very good except for obnixilis that one actually looks fine but i think the the vampire lord is probably strong it's a lord with convoke i didn't see this card (laughs) it is uh two and a black for a two two lifelink your other vampires get plus one plus one and it has madness of two and a black and convoke okay that that's neat just a, yeah. a mono black lord effect yeah and you can so you can like discard it to a blood token and pay the convoke costs if you're yeah. trying to like go up a card like it's it's cute i'm really not into plus one plus one lords as a strategy we employ in 2023 anymore no it's generally not great but convoke on it i think is a a really interesting twist yes but i i like the lords that are like the changeling from modern horizons where all your creatures of the type get you know a little bubble like something like mm-hmm. that just not plus one plus one i need some more, like dimension because yeah games are people are so good at stabilizing the board and the plus one plus one wards are just like if you've got answers to my stuff this card goes dramatically down in value yeah i'm not super concerned aftermath is very weird to me i don't really i i have a feeling that the cards that are good in it are going to be extremely valuable because I struggle to see that very much, very many of these five card packs are going to be open. I I tried to look up the price today, like MSRP or whatever for mm -hmm. Aftermath, and I couldn't find it. Uh, Granted, I only clicked on like four links or whatever, but I don't don't actually know the price of this product. (laughs) Like, I guess most packs are opened by stores anyways nowadays because people don't really draft in paper so so i was talking to a local game store employee we know mm-hmm. who did say that <laughs> nowadays like with um march of the machine that was the most recent set as an example opening that set's really bad because all of the value is in like eight cards and they're all yeah. mythic yeah so they don't want to open any product to have singles to sell or anything like that they just like rely on people selling bulk rares or whatever to get cards but people Mm. don't do that either because the cards are not worth anything so where so who's opening packs people are opening packs and they're just getting lost basically cards just don't (laughs) exist now (laughs) they either end up in collections or trash cans or whatever like you open a random rare that is worth 50 cents well, honestly like pluricronos pluricronos is very cheap 
-hmm. you're not going to like sell it because the store's not going to give you anything to it. But if you're not going to do anything with it, like you're just going to keep it forever. (laughs) And that's one of the weird things about considering Aftermath, you know, to interrupt our podcast section with some economy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who's actually going to open these packs? And if they're going to be worth something, then they'll be available. But if they're not, then all these cards are going to not exist forever. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I guess just remains to be seen if any of the cards are playable and then what happens after that. Yeah, so far I haven't seen too many ones I actually care about. Mm-hmm. But I actually kind of hope that doesn't change because I don't like the idea of these uh, these very small booster packs. So if we were playing more standard, right? If we were like consistently doing standard tournaments like every weekend, then it would I I think it would be fine to have a standard update, like a little kick to standard. Uh, oh, oh, we've been playing this format for a month, now we get a few new cards. Like that would be a cool idea in concept, but we're just not playing standard in that way, so it doesn't have like a huge purpose to it that serves me. I agree with that, but I also think it could be employed like they work on these sets so far in advance. It's not like they saw, hmm, there's a spot where standard needs some like tune ups or whatever, like you'd expect from Hearthstone or whatever. Oh, I know, but just new new things, new toys to play with. That's I, I would rather just be employed in a bonus sheet, like Time Spiral or Strixhaven or whatever. Just instead of the Brothers War retro artifacts, just have this one be legal and standard and attached to a set that people are going to open and draft so the cards are available. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, sure. Like, that's a different thing, I guess. But How is it a like, different thing? Well, because then it would come out at the same time as the set. Yeah, it'd be a part of the set. So then it's just a part of the set. That's a different thing from, like, a, a you know, refresh to standard or whatever. Yeah, but I don't really think this is a refresh to standard. Like, it, there's not... This is just another product in standard. Yeah, I mean, but then it's nothing, right? So then who cares at all? Like, then it's just a nothing thing. I'm at least trying to engage with the idea of it, which is like, here are some new cards to play with in standard. And like, that would be cool in a world where we played enough standard that that would be a helpful thing. But we don't really. And I don't think that we're going to open very many packs of this. And I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to convince uh people to go back to standard i think i don't know i don't know if rc season will do it rcq season rather yeah i mean we at least got people talking about standard a lot you know because of the the last regionals and stuff and like people got into the standard because it was good so that that gives me some amount of hope like there was a lot of discussion about standard and and it became a focus for a while yeah it's neat i know alan went to the rc and really liked it and would like mm-hmm. to play more of it but no one right there's no local scene ever you know around here feels the same way so it just doesn't sure. happen and that's kind of like the infrastructure thing that i think is going to be hard to overcome yeah but you know awareness of the decks that are in standard is an improvement over like at one point i didn't know what cards people were playing in standard and like i podcast about magic the gathering so yeah that's that's something at least yeah that that's true everything before neon dynasty and standard was a a mystery yeah (laughs) yeah but to return to pioneer stuff uh, once again, as always, we are bracketed by Rakdos on one end and Mono Green on the other, and you're trying to like find a way to weave through it, and it is basically impossible to build a deck that is good against both Rakdos and Mono Green. But some of the kind of like options on the periphery for not having to be one of these two decks, I I have been enjoying the creativity deck still. I think it's pretty good. Phil Helmuth on MTGO, a.k.a. Uh, Sam Rolf, won the Showcase Challenge with Gear Hulk Creativity. I at least can sit down against a Rakdos opponent and feel comfortable in my plans and feel like I'm reasonably favored. And against Mono Green, I also feel comfortable against my pl- about my plans and like know what to do and feel fine. I am interested in how the build... Like I, I played some matches and then decided that I need a Hullbreaker Horror in my sideboard in order to beat Mono Green as it exists today. Because basically, like 
you win the games where you stop their elves and they don't ramp at all. And then you can like at some point just upkeep Gear Hulk Opus them and they just never really get into it. They never cast anything efficiently. So that's fine. We know you win those. You lose the games where you don't keep up with their ramp and then they just start putting stuff on the board and then they activate Nykthos for 11 and the storm the festival and kill you. That's fine. You lose those games. But the problem was the games where you hit them with some disruption, but then they're able to like land Kiora and then a three drop and draw a card and then accumulate resources. And then all of a sudden they have three, four power creatures in play. You don't really have any way of dealing with those. And Gear Hulk Opus isn't good enough to beat that. And they're just like applying more and more pressure to you. And eventually you crumble and you have no way of, of coming back out of those games. Uh, I wanted to find a way to win those games and like having one Having one Hullbreaker Horror in the list to board in, I found made a really big difference in that type of game, which is a pretty common one because they kind of naturally lean towards that play pattern when you're holding up counter magic against them. So I wanted to have a way of solving that. And Sam's list does not have that. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested in what his plan is there because it, it that sideboard did not work out for me in the matchup. So I, I would be... I'd like to see what the the concept is there. Yeah, and it's possible Sam just like dodged the matchup a couple times or whatever, or didn't, or had his games play out in a different manner. But I I do like mm-hmm. the idea of whole record. I like this deck in general. I think it's a very high agency deck that is very rewarding. Like you you have a lot of options. Your cards have a lot of modes on them. <laughs> like literally yeah. with Prismari Command and like Divide by Zero and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But but the more you play the game, the better your like gear hulks and such get, and I think it really rewards strong players. And I, I know Sam Rolf's a very strong player; he's on that yeah. gun all the time. And and that is a big part of it. In one way, it rewards strong players, but the way that I felt that was basically like it really punished mistakes hard. Like you can't misassign like the use of a particular card. Like you, if you have a mystical dispute and a uh, make disappear in your hand post board like you have to be assigning each of those to their correct use in any given game and if you like misstep at all then you usually get punished and fall too far behind which is you know yes you just have to play well with the deck in order to maximize it then that's that's fine but just be aware of that before going into matches with this yeah i also think that's not like specific to this type of deck pioneer is strong enough now that if you make a misstep a mistake with any deck it is it is kind of hard to come back in a reasonable time frame decks do not give you a lot of time anymore for sure but it doesn't provide much of a safety well, you know like with rakdos you thought sees them and then you know what cards are in their hand and it makes your decision making a little bit easier for the next few turns yes, and there's kind of no why of that. hate thought sees. yeah i mean that is a problem with thought sees. <sighs> this is one of my least favorite cards <laughs> well i mean be prepared the most played deck in the format starts out with four or five and then goes oh, up to seven post board i'm never really upset with people thoughts of me or anything i just i yeah. really dislike the design i guess of thoughts like how much free power it gives you that's not that's a part of the card right. because that's how paper magic works basically yeah the neoform deck which I don't, I'm not like super high on it or anything. I was impressed though by the combination of Thoughtseize and Founding the Third Path. Because a lot mm-hmm. of times after you Thoughtseize somebody, what you really want to do is Thoughtseize them again, maybe ideally a couple turns later. And Founding the Third Path, by being a card that allows you to do that, and also all of its modes are very useful in the deck. Like I was really, really impressed by Founding the Third Path in, in the Atraxa Neoform deck. Like, that card was good there, and that was the first time I've seen it be like a lights out good magic card. Yeah, I think it's actually the best card in the deck. It's the most. I think that that card leads to the most wins towards the mm-hmm. neoform player when they have that card. Yeah, uh, and every time I see like red black versus neoform, for instance, and you thoughtsies and you see a founding of the third path, it's often just the best card to take because it's an enabler. Yeah. It sets up all their cards very well, and it down the line. Like being able to flashback a Grizzly Salvage off the third chapter of this after you've milled three cards is just everything you've ever needed. <laughs> yeah. And it's also kind of like 
uh, Thoughtseize protection on its own too. Mm -hmm. If you don't take the founding of the third path, then they can they could cast whatever spell you took with it, including the neoform. Right, right. Conversely, I do think the games where you don't have founding the third path, you have to like be firing on all your cylinders and get out your thing like immediately. Mm -hmm. Or you don't really have like the staying power you need that you're you're just not resilient enough or anything like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty true. It, there's really no way of getting card advantage in the deck except for putting out an Atraxa. You really got to do that. Mm -hmm. Though there this this list in fifteenth that I found on the showcase got a Scarab God in the main deck, so you know there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's more of a way to actually close out a game. You know, Atraxa is not the best at actually like taking your opponent to zero, but sometimes you can flip a Scarab God to your Atraxa and then they, you know, maybe they deal with the Atraxa, maybe they block it a little bit with flyers, but then you just put down this Scarab God and then you just start making four fours and then they die to it and the, like it... it shortens the game the game ends in about two turns after you put a scarab god into play atraxa does suffer a little bit from the i need to kill shieldred kind of thing that happens in mm -hmm. pioneer like it she attracts does die to go over the throat and empower word kill or actually it doesn't mm -hmm. die to power kill right because it's an angel it's an angel yeah. yeah yeah that's one other thing about i i you know we've had a little discussion about kind of the philosophy of pioneer and stuff there's a, a todd anderson thread about like play you know i i i don't really care that much right now about if pioneer is good or a good competitive format or like i'm just trying to be good at it and i'm kind of ignoring all of the other stuff i'm also generally enjoying playing it right now so i'm fine with it but one thing about one thing that popped up that was really interesting was bobby fortinelli posted his like win rates on the play and on the draw in mono green versus gruel and it was like an almost 40 percentage point difference. He was like 80 Ugh. plus percent on the play and like slightly under 50% on the draw because it was a Lanoir Elves matchup yeah. and being on the play is really, really, really important. And I think that that is a thing that is important to keep in mind when you're thinking about Pioneer and something that influenced my deck building, which is basically like one mana removal spells are exceptional and playing some number of them is really really good and i one of the things i like about the magma opus deck is being able to play fiery impulse which is a really powerful removal spell in the format rakdos gets to play fatal push which is a really powerful removal spell in the format a follow-up bit of information to that is that two mana removal spells kind of suck a lot unless they are able to kill like everything if it doesn't kill a shieldred and it costs two mana what do you actually want to kill with that spell? And that was the question that I had in my mind for the Volcanic Spites in the Magma Opus deck. Is like, what do I actually want to point these at? And the answer was basically nothing. Like, yeah, you could point it at like a Fable token and that's okay. Or maybe a Graveyard Trespasser sometimes, but that still kind of sucks. It doesn't hit anything out of Mono Green that you actually want to cast it against. Like, you want to get that card out of your deck as quickly as possible. And in other matchups like Mono White, it's like, okay, I killed something, but traded even or down on mana for it. it so, like, and, and then it, it had the, like, critical failing of my opponent has a Shieldred in play and my two-mana removal spell doesn't kill it. Or my opponent has an attraction in play and my two-mana removal spell doesn't kill it. So when I registered the deck, I just played Fading Hopes instead because it is better than uh, Volcanic Spite against Llanowar Elves. It is better than Volcanic Spite against Shieldred. And I didn't need the, like, permanent kill this thing as badly as I just needed time and mana efficiency. Yeah, because one of the things you can leverage with the time you get is you can have a huge swing turn with Thresh of Hulk or Magma or right. Magma Opus. Right. And then usually you can aim the damage from the Magma Opus at the thing that you could have killed with the three damage, and it like works out just fine. So I, I was pretty pleased with Fading Hope, and I don't think I understand what you ever actually want to deal three damage for two mana to. A braid I, I can be fine with because Reckoner Bankbuster is a card, but yeah, I, I I think that's a good thing to notice about the format is that with, with Lionel Elves especially, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you you want to be as mana efficient as possible, and something like Volcanic Spite doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, though I think that's probably a holdover from you know Pro Tour winning Fire Prophecy list, where the idea of these decks with Fire Prophecy is you just like want to cycle to get your combo, because that mm -hmm. was a that was a Zenagos, the other card. World's by World's Spine Worm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and you also must get those cards out of your hand, including like Xenagos. Putting a Xenagos back into your deck actually like makes your deck much better, like makes it actually function. And mm -hmm. that's not required when you're playing Magma Opus Gearhawk. Like all of your cards are fine to draw as part of the draw of the deck. Yeah, and if you don't have the necessary utility of like needing to use the Fire Prophecy mode in your mm -hmm. deck it's just like not doing anything for you right so yeah yeah it, makes a lot of sense. it like can fix your draw a little bit but what you actually should do is just mulligan properly and play the right number of lands uh, yeah also playing a card to fix your draw step is not really worth a card no. unless like fire prophecy it comes back and wins you the game later yeah which so this card's I, not gonna do <laughs> I, yeah and I, I just had no every time i drew it i was just like what am i okay i'll kill that that one mana creature with it, I guess, and it's, it just wasn't a satisfying card to draw. So, what is this Jess guy Indomitable Creativity? Oh, it's just getting Nahiri. Yeah, that that's another thing. So, you know, we've also seen these Atraxa versions of Creativity, which I've not been very impressed by because, kind of, of the thing we talked about, it takes several turns for Atraxa to kill your opponent. When you are a Creativity deck and you just draw a bunch of the cards that were meant to enable you doing the Creativity thing, like drawing a, a creativity and a, a prismari command off of your atraxa doesn't do anything because you can't put another atraxa into play until they deal with the first one anyways uh, you also don't have the versatility of creativity for additional numbers which is one of the reasons again that draws me to the magma opus version is while your sweet spot is not as powerful as like getting a, a one gear hulk is probably not as powerful as getting one atraxa getting two gear hulks is not as powerful as getting a Zenagos combo that kills your opponent the fact that you can do it for x equals one or you can power it up for x equals two and get more out of it that flexibility is really nice the atraxa versions don't have that and so like the blue red versions i have not been impressed by and often like you'd get an atraxa and then you just be like how do i beat all of these cavaliers of thorns i don't understand like what i'm supposed to do here uh, but this Jeskai version that has like chained the rocks and has uh, Nahiri's in it, uh, I think is really smart and solves a lot of the like primary issues I had that just like the the straight blue red attracts the creativity deck. I don't think was a functional deck. And this one I think is. Yeah, I still don't like a couple of things with it. Like it, it also has secrets of the key, which is garbage. Yes, I don't know so. why the one secrets of the key still makes it into the deck, but... Secrets of the key is not like we want to play good cards in our deck. Right. Let's not play Secrets of the Key. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't love creativity for Atraxa. I think it's fine. This this Jessica version is certainly better than any of the blue red ones I've seen. But I I I still think it has some of the problems you mentioned where Atraxa just doesn't kill fast enough. And your refill is not that impactful a lot of the time yeah i mean i think chain to the rocks is like a huge get for your atraxa in this type of deck but yeah i still don't think this deck quite does it for me it's just closer than the is it version mm -hmm. so good, a good deck building and i do appreciate this list by underscore joseph underscore also, any of these decks that are playing three Make Disappears, play the fourth Make Disappear. Make Disappear is really good. I just I just want to encourage people to to register four copies of the spell that you want to cast on turn two every game. Yeah, fewer Volcanic Spites, more Make Disappears. Yep. Also, I don't know if this is right, but I think that in a certain Make Disappear decks like the Magma Opus deck, you may be supposed to take the draw against Rakdos. Because I, like, I've actually thought the same thing. Like I, I also don't know if it's right, but I've frequently seen where it would be advantageous to have an mm -hmm. extra card, and the and importantly to me, the flexibility in mulliganing. Because on the draw, your your range of hands you can keep is a lot 
uh, wider because of mm -hmm. like mana base percentages. And you do not want to mulligan against Rakdos. Yeah. You want to avoid that at all costs, especially if you're a deck that they are bringing the duresses in against too. So they have like seven, like you're, you're in a matchup where their interaction against you is one mana discard spells. Your interaction against them is very efficient removal and counter spells. Like your, your best interaction is fiery impulse and make disappear. And you're actually fine with casting those a little behind against them like you you're gonna fire your impulse there two drop because it's a three two for two mana you want to make disappear their fable of the mirror breaker so i don't think being on the draw hurts you as much as it could it is still tough to commit to but given the density of discard spells and the efficiency of your interaction against them i i am starting to believe you know i i mulliganed against philip in our win and in I mulliganed game two on the play, went to six. He thought seized me. And I was just like, I think I'm less than 10% to win this game now. It also doesn't hurt. Or one of the things that I think encourages this line of thinking is that Rakdos is not a deck that does anything on turn one, except for thought seize you, which you cannot prevent. Mm -hmm. Like right. you're not being, you're never going to be able to make disappear that even if you're on the play. So because of that, you don't have to play catch up against one drops. You're just playing catch up against something you can, uh, mm -hmm. fiery impulse like a blood tithe harvester which makes a, yeah. a lot more of a difference yeah it, it's something i'd be interested in trying out because i i have actually thought this myself <laughs> before mm -hmm. you even mentioned it okay uh, good yeah it's something that i i need to find an answer to that question if i'm going to register a deck like this at, at regionals and i want to get a definitive like yes or no answer to it yeah i agree uh, well any Closing thoughts on Pioneer, I guess. Any other decks you want to talk about? Any meta considerations? I do want to mention that Boggles or Hexproof or Auras or whatever you want to call it <laughs> does have a Saiba Cryptomancer now. And I think that card is pretty impressive in the deck. The mana base definitely starts looking interesting once you're like full Bant. But a creature that can protect your light paws and also is hexproof all on its own is a really interesting addition to the deck that I think makes a difference. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I had a hard time envisioning this card for competitive play because I was too drawn to its stupid flavor text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to read it. That's too, too cringy. I, I, I feel like I have to read it because this is podcast. Oh, you know, no right. one's going to be able to like, scry fall up on their phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. The flavor text of Cyber Cryptomancer is good luck getting through a class seven proxy ward. Creep. Mm. Just excellent. Excellent writing. Yep. Great work all around. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with this card and boggles. It seems fine. Auras. Yeah. Enchanties. Yeah. Wait, no, that's a different deck. That is a different deck, but you could be forgiven if, if you're new to the format. Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to say about Pioneer right now. I will have more, obviously, in a week since we're working pretty hard on this format. Yeah, the RC is at the end of the month. Coming up quick. Like, I don't know. It, it just, it feels like you, the time disappears. Um, so on to standard, uh, Grixis just kind of back on top of the heap. Uh, Sunday challenge won by regular old Grixis. Grixis and Rakdos making up like 40% of the metagame, not <laughs> even counting Rakdos Reanimator. So probably ultimately like 50% of the metagame is Rakdos, Grixis, Rakdos Reanimator. The other challenge, pretty similar story. Lots of Rakdos, lots of Grixis, Mono White Midrange, and then Esper coming up uh, just behind those, a reasonable amount behind those. And... The, you know, you have to answer the question of if you want to be Rakdos or if you want to be Grixis. Still, Grixis is a little better against Mono White. Rakdos is a little better against Esper and uh, probably the Mirrors as well. Uh, the the format really revolves around these Fable of the Mirror Breaker decks. Yeah, I I'm a little tired of seeing them, but. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 selling point of the standard to me is not really the like deck diversity or anything like that because it's not there anymore but it's the gameplay i think the gameplay is very strong i agree 
Like there's a lot of decisions and back and forth between even two very similar decks, which really saves the format for me. What is, oh my goodness. Did you see this Bant pile in the uh, second place in the challenge? I just the looked Atraxa at it for the one? first time. Yeah. 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 Chrome host seed shark attracts a herd migration. This is a, this is a pile. Well, so this is really similar to the like blue white attracts a control deck that we saw like yeah, leading up ago. into the yeah leading up into the rcs this just happens to also have chrome host seed shark in it which is a combo with leyline binding uh, yeah i think it's actually really good it also gives you like really good flexibility against like when you have to populate or whatever because you can mm. play a seed shark which is a 2-4 so like a relatively large creature for its mana cost <laughs> Yeah, and they have to play more creatures than to depopulate, and then you can depopulate, and you have incubation tokens left over, which is cool. Saves you for the next yeah. little bit. I actually really and, like and Chromos Seed Shark as a card. Anything you had to do to kind of like keep up before, you know, probably the Chromos Seed Shark leads pretty quickly into the depopulate there. But anything you had to do to keep up any other removal spells and stuff you were playing along the way, like you do get a little bit back from them as long as you haven't flipped your incubators. Yeah, and I don't think you're incentivized to flip them until you mm -hmm. need the creature. Like, you're using the creature immediately, like, either to block with it or to attack with it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, once again, this is another lay down arms, ley line binding deck because you are allowed to do that technically. Yes. <laughs> it's the, the wonder of Trilands. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't realize until the pre-release, actually, that incubation tokens were instant speed effects i just like kind of assumed they were sorcery speed oh no they're and that effectively quickly... clues that instead of drawing a card they put that creature right in play yeah <laughs> it's not how i read it during preview season but once we got to the pre-release i'm like oh wow there's just some words missing here yeah i think it would feel really clunky if you had to flip it as a sorcery I, you know but it definitely feels very good when you flip it as an instant <laughs> I, the the whole mechanic like feels pretty smooth and and good and I like it quite a bit. It works well in the limited format. Yeah, I I like the intersection of incubate and backup. Actually, it's two good mechanics. Yeah. Backup is a phenomenal mechanic and and one that I am sure we'll be seeing returned like in not that long. It, it just works incredibly well for limited. Yeah, I need to look more at the the backup creatures in standard because. I think it was Casey. I shared a hard and scale stack with you in Pioneer, mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, some some cope, some not. Yeah. But it had some interesting ideas, and I would want to look at some backup creatures to see if you can do anything with it. But that's like, that's neither here nor there if we're talking about standard. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wish that we had a little more insight into, like, what some of the teams were working on for standard going into the pro tour. But I, I guess I'm just kind of, kind of treat this pro tour as like, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully there are some pleasant surprises, but if there aren't, this is at the tail, you know, this is the eight set standard format and we will get a rotation at some point. Yeah. The good news is even if the innovation isn't inspiring i think the games will all be very good and it'll be a very yeah. good tournament to watch yes the games tend to have just a lot of back and forth and there are not a ton of like unwinnable positions because there's gigantic haymakers in most of the decks now yeah the the games are really fun yeah we'll see if uh, atali makes a, <laughs> a show because <laughs> i know atali was like green ramp decks into atali was a thing that was happening on arena for a little bit and they're they're not represented in this challenge, so I assume they're just not very good. But you know, Atali is a very strong card. It's got a lot of numbers and text on it. Yeah, there is a. Let me see where where did this one go? There there's an oddly beautiful invasion of Zendikar deck in the top eight of this challenge. That's like Topiary Stomper invasion of Zendikar is the ramp. And it's playing ossification and leyline binding as its removal, and then you are ramping into Atraxa, Itali, and Archangel of Wrath. So you kind of have all of the colors there, and uh, you know a couple of sunfalls to help you catch back up. I, you know, 
this deck seems fine. It, it's playing her, the herd migrations that have become just an absolute staple of any deck that's trying to cast Atraxa, no matter like how you're getting there. It, it just it does all the things you need to, right? Like it gets you a land early, gives you a life buffer, and mm -hmm. later in the game, like does something. <laughs> yeah, is a a pretty big payoff. Yeah. No, I, I, this deck is kind of cool. Yeah. It definitely feels like the first version of a deck, especially looking at the sideboard, but I'm not against that. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> the, the sideboard, which is just a mono white deck sideboard. Hey, with two Tyranix Rexes, come on. No, but like, I mean, the other 13 cards, like literally I have seen like these cards yeah. as a 13 of the cards in a mono white sideboard. They're just, it's just like, what, what, what are the cards people play in this format and just copy a mono white list sideboard without like thinking about how it interacts with your deck it does feel like that a lot i mean destroy evil sunset revelry unlicensed hearse wandering emperor sunfall farewell eternal wander like this is a mono white sideboard yeah i also don't think this is a, a farewell deck most of the time but whatever uh i mean i don't hate in like invasion of zendikar into farewell is like fine whatever they were doing that you fell behind against because you were casting invasion of zendikar you clean up with farewell i don't hate that okay as long as they weren't doing planeswalkers which <laughs> you know people are yeah that's a that's a deal breaker for me a little liliana of the veil for my troubles <laughs> yeah that that one's a little tough when you're spending all your cards on making mana uh even chandra the six mana. i mean that one's not going to come up against like invasions and card farewell but i have seen mm. the new chandra make its way into some of these decks sure yeah though i haven't seen it in play yet i just know that it exists and i'm eagerly <laughs> awaiting the day that I, I see a chandra into an invoke despair like that's gonna be that's gonna be it yeesh yeah that's really gross I hopefully I see it from like the next table over or on a stream or something and not it happening to me. Yeah. I, I mean, when you, when it happens to you, you have to call people over and be like, you know, look, look at this. Well, look, at, look at what just happened Disgu to me. Disgusting. <laughs> I, I do have hopes for that new Chandra though. I, I think she's pretty solid. I, yeah, she is very powerful. Though I keep mistyping her name whenever I put her in deck lists or look for her at Scryfall. I, I keep thinking she's speaking of hope, but no, it's hope speaking. There's the worst only, way to say that. There is only one Chandra whose name I know, and that is Chandra Torture Defiance. And the rest of them are what about Chandra, Chandra a mana cost. I guess Chandra, but that one is not relevant to any discussion. You can't even talk about an old format and be like, and Chandra Noir. So it's a historical like it's one of the first five planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I There's, could name many of the Chandras, but almost none of them are relevant. Yeah. Dress to kill. Come on, you gotta know that one. Oh, uh, I do know Dress to Kill. I know Accolade of Flame. I know Chandra <laughs> Flame Caller, but I don't always know all of their abilities because there's only <laughs> like five Chandra abilities, and you just change the numbers around. Yeah, they either make mana or deal damage, or sometimes both. Uh, <laughs> And draw cards. Make, make a token. Draw cards. Tokens are rare, Chandras. Uh, I think there's more token Chandras than you would think. Chandra Flamecaller, uh, Chandra Accolade of Flame. Yeah, name a third. Because that's what Is I was that trying it? to think of. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, there's two. Someone listening to the podcast has, has identified the third Chandra that makes a token and is just screaming at us right now. Well, I'm I'm looking right now. <laughs> There's like a Planeswalker deck one, probably. Nope, it's only those two. It it's only literally, those two. It's only those two. Well, you know, I knew it. <laughs> okay. There's as many Chandras that copy spells as make tokens. Yeah, it's just the M14 one or whatever, and then Hope's Beacon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I don't think we're talking too much more about standard after all of this. Yeah, we, we've standard has not changed very much since the last pro tour, and we're going into this one. Yeah, just listen to an old episode, listen to our pre regionals episode, and I don't think our breakdown is like fundamentally different here. Yeah, we we had a guest lined up, but it fell through unfortunately. So we don't yeah. we don't have any insider information this time. No, and I have not been working on standards, so we, we don't have a ton to bring to the table here. I mean, I guess new things that could have an impact that I am interested in. 
uh, seeing if they work out is like uh, Itali as a big payoff that goes over the top of stuff and is really efficient and a good a good cruelty of Gix reanimation target that is also extremely castable and on color for those decks. I think mm-hmm. that if we see that, I wouldn't be too surprised. I do like Invasion of Zendikar. I think it opens up some like, I don't care that you're doing Fable of the Mirror Breaker Children stuff. I will now cast my seven mana spells until you are dead. And that that space is pretty powerful and could be good. And uh, I don't know how much hard casting attracts outside of that. I'm super interested in, <laughs> but that's certainly a place that you can do that. And I, I think I'm more interested in versions of the Rakdos midrange decks that are doing bigger stuff. Uh, that are reanimating things. Although, if people are starting to get good at like casting Invasion of Zendikar and then casting big things, you probably don't want to be an invasion. You probably don't want to be a reanimation version of Rakdos. You want to be an Invoke Despair version that's getting yeah. them dead and playing four Shieldreds. Punish them if they put a Trax into play. Yeah. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm here. I mirror them. I think a lot of the cards in. March of the Machine have a lot of potential, but the cards that have come before, like this is such a big standard that I think a lot of them will be overshadowed until the set rotates. Yep. Like we hit rotation. So I'm just looking forward to watching games this weekend when I can. Yeah. I would have, there's a Flesh and Blood Pro Tour last weekend that I would have loved to watch the entire thing, but I was busy. So hopefully that doesn't happen this weekend. (laughs) No, my focus is mostly going to be on watching some magic so yeah excited for that cool well thanks everybody so much for listening we really really appreciate your time that's it for us have a great week bye